0: Hello, and welcome to East Dropping at the Movies. I'm Mike. And I'm Jose, And we're talking about Ants today. Yes. Which I've wanted to watch ever since we watched Bug a few months ago, because you thought we were watching Ants. Yes. At the time, and then it turned out to be something completely different. Yes. Um, So I thought, well, we should actually watch Ants at some point, because I really like this film, and I've watched it a lot over the years although not in many years.
1: I haven't seen it since it came out, and one of the things that makes you feel really, really old is to realise the film is 22 years old. (laughs) I, you know, there are 22-year-olds who weren't born when this film came out.
0: (laughs) That's how long ago it was. This was the second full-length feature 3D animation after Toy Story in 1995, and there was a, a bitter sort of public feud in the production of Ants between... DreamWorks this is a DreamWorks film. Ah. DreamWorks had just recently been created in 1994. Because I Jeffrey remember Ka- DreamWorks being created. Yes. Yeah. So Jeffrey Katzenberg kind of fell out with Michael Eisner of Disney, left Disney under this this feud, created DreamWorks and basically said we're going to destroy <laughs> Disney, and um, and this film really seemed to be kind of like his pawn, you know, in the affair. So it was being made while Disney Pixar was making A Bug's Life. And in so many ways the films are similar. I mean, they're about ant colonies Mm. and a single ant who's kind of an oddball outcast, falls in love with a princess, saves the society, all that kind of stuff. Like, Mm. There are big uh, similarities between them. A Bug's Life was more successful at the box office, made I think about twice the money. Though this made good money as well. Mm. So they were both successful. This came out uh, a couple of months before A Bug's Life Mm. in the US. And I think that was one of the things... Like Katzenberg was... You know, this has to come out first. Um, I've always remembered liking Ants a lot more. I've seen it a lot more. I think I've seen A Bug's Life through only once. This always really appealed to me. And so much of it is Woody Allen's responsibility. It's his casting, his performance, his writing. He's the movie. Yeah. When I say his writing, I mean the writing for his character. Although I was just reading about it and found out that he made... Uh, uncredited rewrites to his character which makes sense because the character is written for his voice Uh,
1: and the whole beginning it not only references his voice but his persona Manhattan specific films I mean
0: yeah it starts off on uh, the psychiatrist couch with him playing Z a workaround I mean just just the idea of Woody Allen as a workaround is a great idea it's like there's a single line for a film brilliant Hmm. you know and he's um,
1: also, isn't he one in real life? I mean, you, you know, that's his persona, always working, working, yeah. scheduled, churning right? yeah. out one film a year, no matter how, you know, his personal life is going.
0: <laughs> but it really fits his um, yeah, kind of neurotic, you know, sort of mm. persona, mm. you know, so at the start of the film, he's talking to a psychiatrist, and he's saying, I just feel so insignificant, and the psychiatrist says, we've made a breakthrough, mm. you are insignificant, <laughs> 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 says the whole thing. <laughs> and then this, kind of, this, this sort of vaguely uh, animal farm kind of social critique mm. emerges where you know the ant society is two classes, well, three classes, I suppose. There's the workers, there's the soldiers, and then there's the upper class above them, the princess and the general who, who preside over the entire society. And these questions of individual thought, uh, so Z kind of falls in love with the princess one day when he meets her. She's been exercising some individual thought of her own because she goes down to the bar mm. wanting something different in her life, wanting to slum it with the workers.
1: Mm. I mean, those things are all kind of cliché-ish. And, mm. you know, there isn't really a critique of anything in the film. I mean, there's kind of one of those faux critiques where, you know, uh, you 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 push a little bit, not too much. Uh, well, everyone comes together quite happily in the end. Yeah. you know. I mean... I think the film is interesting to me for two reasons, really. Uh, One, it's for adults, right? And it's very smart and witty, yeah. And it really is for adults, not only in terms of the wine liners, the situations, you know, the senior psychiatrist and stuff like that. I mean, you know what the children make of that. Um, So it's quite sophisticated jokes, I think, Mm. uh, about sophisticated people. Uh, And then um the way that it's visualized which actually i think you know i thought one of the interesting things was uh woody allen the ant has more uh complex uh facial reactions than woody allen the actor (laughs) (laughs) you know and he gets humor they get humor from the ant's face that actually you almost never get from you know woody allen's own face yeah like
0: yeah, yeah, I think that's probably true. Uh, some of the animation, I think, you can really tell how much it's moved on. And as you say, this is 22 years ago. You know, animation's come a long way. Um, I, I mean, I was noticing the uh, the, the lip sync and the movements of the mouse. They were very kind of stilted mm. and things, or, or, or uh, stiff is probably mm. a better word. Um, and there are certain times where, you know, obviously the rendering is missing. Uh, so many details that you would see today that actually some shots in here look like kind of what, we would have, what you'd have as previs these days, kind of like early renders as, as tests before you mm-hmm. finish the film. You know, that's how much things have changed. But there's also some incredibly beautiful shots. And what I, what I really remarked upon to myself was the composition of shots. I think it's a really artfully and carefully composed film in so many ways. And I think... There's a couple of action scenes. Well, there's like the dance scene early on, which I think was wonderful. Because this is kind of improvised. Like, it's not like a dance routine. Mm. It's just Z and the princess kind of being a bit free in amongst this kind of regimented grid of uh, line dancing kind of thing. And you get these shots where it's like... The, it's the two of them dancing next to each other, inventing something. And it's... Everything about the shot is kind of geometrically perfect apart from those two mm. you know and it expresses how, how different they are and how uh, liberated they're kind of feeling there's the action scene where they go to war with the termites which what i re- what i'd always remembered about the film was the vast shots of the army of ants i remember seeing nothing like that in a bug's life mm. um you know I, me- I don't remember ever getting the feeling of like the scale of the colony in mm. the bug's life that you do that you do here yeah. i think um, I always remember those shots but one i would forgotten is when they actually enter the termites uh, sort of lair nest whatever it is and there's no one there and then the termites come out of the walls how creepy that is I mean mm. you're right to say this like it's 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 definitely a kids film because it's animated and it's for kids but it's dark in ways that Pixar never is well
1: when I was saying that it was for kids I actually wasn't referring to the darkness mm. Uh, I was referring to um, a lot of the pleasures in the film. Uh, for example, require you to know who Sylvester Stallone is. Yes. <laughs> sure, you know. Yes. I mean, just the ability to recognize the voices, right, or some of the responses, right. Uh, you know, so so there's star casting, but actually, you expect the audience to recognize the casting and to value the casting, and for the casting to be used expressively and humorously and so on, which it is. You don't expect kids to get all that stuff, right? No. They don't. So actually there's a sense in which, you know, this film is definitely made for adults. Now, it may also be made for kids, yeah, that I'm less sure of, but it is definitely made with adults in mind in a way that other animated films aren't. Mm. Uh, I
0: think one of the things that that started when Toy Story came out in 95, that was when I first really got the sense of people saying oh it's a film that you take your kids to but you sit there and watch it yourself yes like i don't think even though that may be true of many films before that i don't think people really said that about a a, a certain kind of film until toy story began it seemed to be pixar's thing
1: i don't know you i mean you know i always imagine that parents watch disney films with their kids and that the films are made for the kids, but with, but with the idea that parents are going to watch at least you know, a couple of times with them, right? Mm. Um, but the balance of all of that in this film was different. I mean, mm. you know, the film begins with a Manhattan skyline, right? With, <laughs> you know, a reference to Woody Allen's own films. You know, the dialogue is so sophisticated. Yeah, he's seeing a psychiatrist. The image of him on the couch, I mean, what's a kid going to make about any of that? You know, uh, it's like asking a kid to understand the New Yorker cartoon. They just won't. I mean, I didn't. Right. So I so I think this film is working on a different level. Yeah. mm. Or has a different audience in mind or it's pitched differently. Yeah. There's something it's quite it's almost too sophisticated for kids. It's a different type of humor. It's a very verbal humor. A lot of it. Mm. Yeah. Which requires you recognizing that wordplay, which you don't expect a kid to do that.
0: No. I mean, I must say, I, I, I would have been 10 when this came out, 10 or 11. It, it would have come out in the start of 99 here, I guess. So I'd have been 11 years old. I don't remember seeing it at the cinema, but I remember watching it on home video a lot, and that would have been when I was an early teen, I guess. Mm. So that's when I would be starting to really appreciate that kind of humour. Um Maybe that's when I would have started to appreciate New Yorker cartoons as well, if I'd read The New Yorker at that age. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I thought I was smart. I mean, I don't know. Like, because, yeah, I, how much of it did I get? I'm sure I knew who Woody Allen was, and I'm sure I, you know, I'd, I'd seen Sylvester Stallone films and things. But how much of it really spoke to... I don't know. Very, very I don't remember. know. I mean, I, it's an interesting thing to
1: wonder about, because I definitely remember, you know, that watching films as a child, for example... I loved the sophistication of like screwball comedy or a lot of screwball comedy anyway. Did I get all the jokes? Probably not. Mm. Right, but there were other levels in which you could enjoy it, so right? which a child could enjoy it. Now mm. I'm not sure of that in relation to this film, yeah? Yeah. I'm not sure what a child would get out of it. Though clearly they did. Though actually it's also significant because this isn't a children's perennial favorite. No right the way that some of the other uh uh pixar animated films are or other or disney animated films are yeah i kind of this this hasn't had that kind of child life you never hear about this one being central to someone's childhood you hear about beauty and the beast or you know uh, any of those so so that's yeah, well, I
0: mean, I mean, DreamWorks has always had the reputation of being second to Pixar. Like, Pixar is the king of 3D animation mm. and makes a bit. Like, there was a joke at the Oscars 10 years ago. I remember Jack Black and Jennifer Aniston were presenting Best Animated Feature. And Jack Black was in Kung Fu Panda, which was DreamWorks. And they had some bit of banter about, at the Oscars every year... So I, I'm always guaranteed to win at the Oscars every year, Jack Black says. And Jennifer Aniston says, how do you mean? And he goes... I star in a DreamWorks film, and then I take the money I make and I put it on Pixar. <laughs> anyway, so Pixar always wins. Pixar always wins, and they have, they have a huge reputation, and like they, they own this kind of animation. Mm. That sort of the thing. And you do feel like in ants, the balance that Pixar strikes. That thing of oh, it's for kids, but there's loads of jokes for the adults as well. Is not the same. Like actually, all the jokes are for the adults, mm. and there's mildly sexual humour, and there's innuendo, and I do think as well. Outside of the humour, there's some real darkness in you know in that war scene. In fact, and it's a combination. Like where where Barbados, the um, the soldier that Z sort of makes friends with, dies, and it's just his head, and he says, "I can't feel my legs," and it's like. Like that's that's quite a dark joke for a kid. And it's kind of a creepy image, just mm. this head talking.
1: Yes. You know? But as I said, you know, maybe... I mean, that's not um, to either praise the film or criticise it. You know, just to point out that those things are there. Yeah, kind of. And that they are uh, aiming at a sophistication... Which is not to say that they're also not aiming at children because actually that i I think think how would I know that? how would I get that mm. aside from you know it's a princess, and it's a love story, and um in fact, nothing truly horrible happens that incident that you mentioned is probably the worst one,
0: probably yeah,
1: um mm. so um
0: but it's interesting, but like when you say about, oh yeah, it's a princess that's that's a kiddie thing stuff but and that's true, but. All the way it's treated, kind of undercuts what's yes. in the kids about it. Like there's always some comment from Z that's sarcastic and and points to kind of social relations or something like that. Mm. It's like that's something for adults to get. Mm. You know, it's not something that kids would kids would get. So it doesn't kind of play so heavily into. The kind of childhood movie tropes, mm-hmm. I guess it likes it likes to step back from them a bit and undercut them all mm-hmm. the time. Mm-hmm. That's Woody Allen's entire persona, really, just standing back and like throwing spitballs and making a comment, and it's exactly what his character does here all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And then when they get out into the sort of adventure looking for Insectopia, I think this is stuff that I did really like when I was a kid. And I remember, I, I remember really liking when they get to the uh, the land of Red and White, um, which is what they've been told about this fabled land. Turns out it's a picnic. Matt, mm. and and there's just these cans of Pepsi and sandwiches and stuff and it's and it's all shot from the ants' perspective. But what's great is you never get a shot from uh, a human's perspective. You get some sort of aerial shots, but they're mm. still like you know looking at the ant they're for the ants, right? Mm. So everything's really from the ants' perspective. And these kind of metropolises and weird places, like you, you immediately understand them as a human that this is just a picnic, mm. but for the ants, it's something incredibly special. Um, and then when they get to Insectopia, it's just a bin with a load of (laughs) shit around it. And, of course, that's exactly what (laughs) ants love, and it's a great (laughs) joke. Um, But, again, this this came back to, I thought, God, this is so beautifully visually expressed. So you have this kid who's running Mm. through the picnic, and he's got gum on the bottom of his shoe, and she gets stuck to it, and he goes chasing after her. And he jumps on the lace, and it swings, Mm. and it's done in, like, what's kind of slow motion... And he's on the one shoe, and the other shoe comes past, and it's it's a scary shot. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> the shoe's going in the background.
1: I thought that was just fantastic, actually. And it really made me think, you know, when I was a child, and I would go into the park, and, you know, you'd look at a flower, Poland or something, and you realise there was a whole world inside that Poland, yeah, of mm-hmm. life. You know, And then you think, well, what about if we are like Poland in some giants, you know like if if we're just a tiny tiny part of this big universe well, you are the Poland or yeah Uh, and actually I thought this film visualized that idea incredibly well yeah like kind of, you know, the, the perspective of the ant versus the human, right? And these enormous towers. or I love it when Woody Allen says, oh, you know, look at all that wonderful stuff, but it's, it seems to be protected by a force field, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah the plastic coating on the sandwich. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so all that stuff I thought was brilliant. And then, and then when they get to Insectopia and they're hanging around the campfire, which is just a smouldering match, um, you've got those, like, hippie... Uh, bugs there oh, yes. and the bohemians like, yeah <laughs> and one was like like, what if what if what if there's a world that's so much bigger than us and all that like you just said and then the one's like wow that's really deep man <laughs> <laughs> that's me a joint <enjoying. laughs> it's great but, and as you say all of this really really plays to adults how much does that play to kids I don't know if any of it does yeah. and um, maybe that's the reason for it's relatively Sort of limited success compared to the competitor, mm. I was like, which is, which I remember being much more, you know, kind of round and colourful and bubbly. Like there's basically almost no colour in this film, mm. interestingly, until you get to Insectopia, when it's um, well, there's a land of red and white, I suppose, and then you get to Insectopia and it's uh, kind of grapes on the floor and there's stuff in the sky and there's colour around there. But um, I guess that's part of it. Like the, I think the film has a load of charm. But the charm is in recognising the kind of dull world that it's building. Mm. Like the idea that these workers have nothing in their lives, really. They just work and they go to the bar and they work and they go to the bar.
1: everything is regimented every hour of their days. Even their dancing is regimented uh and scheduled and timed but you also get a sense that none of that changes in the film that's why i think it's like a faux critique really yeah because they're they're just going to remake the colony but the colony is going to be exactly the same right like (laughs) uh, uh, uh. there's no indication that any of the structures are going to change right yeah Uh,
0: when, when in the in the final closing uh voiceover z says you know boy meets girl Boy falls for girl. Boy restructures the entire society. Mm. It's like, well, we don't know. We don't know that yet. Like, because that's actually not really what it's about. Well, I mean, the thing is, Z Z leaves and steals the princess, mm. and it's and then word kind of filters down to the workers, mm. and of course they don't they they weren't there. They don't know exactly what happened. So stories get round, and Z becomes this mm. uh, kind of kind of figure for liberation and freedom. Because just because I, I I really like the way that's done. All these kind of little bits of information are built up. In the workers' minds, so um, Weaver, the Wester Sloan character, who's his friend, mm. says, "I know that guy, and then he was—he's was a worker, but he was—but everyone knows him as this war hero, and we know it's because he was pretending to be a soldier so we can get close to the to the princess again. But all the, all the, all the workers are going, wait—we don't have to be workers anymore. Mm. Like they, what they take out of what Z's done, Z didn't Z didn't do anything to be ide- ideological." Mm but that that's what they take out of it this message so when z comes back he's this figure that they mm. built up and he has no idea mm. yeah i like the way all that works mm. i i do i lo- i loved it in fact
1: but i also think it's just it's not great mm. yeah that you know it would have taken very little to make the film great you know because it's almost like verging on it right when you think of well what is it about you know the messages is well you can make the same mistakes that you're making now but it makes a difference that they're your choice that it's an active choice that you make your mistakes and mm-hmm. you think like you know there's been a revolution society has been toppled there's been betrayal in the palace and you know and all this and that is the conclusion
0: yeah fact, <laughs> it's quite packed when it comes down to just learn to think for yourself Because still, you know, still the Queen is there and she'll be back in charge of the society. And and the villain is very, very obvious. Mm. The villain is, um... uh, Not Cutter. Cutter's Christopher Walken character. Uh, General... I forget his name. Mandible. Mm. General Mandible, the uh, Gene Hackman character. Like, he's the villain and he has this plan to kill half the society. So he'll kill the workers, keep the, the soldiers... And make the society strong and all the rest in his image. Um... But you know, but that's things like that is quite that's quite simple. Nothing ever works like that. Mm. And actually, the idea that the film is kind of conversant with that society is broken and the structure could be a problem, isn't something that actually changes. And there's
1: an interesting thing in that because actually, I mean that character has certain interesting echoes of any dictator, really, yeah, of any authoritarian regime, which is like um, a hatred of the weak. Mm. right Uh, and you think what is it about the weak that bothers people so much I mean is it that they might be called upon to help yeah (laughs) I mean yeah Yeah. kind of you know what is it that kind of weak why do weak people inspire such fear (laughs) (laughs) and I mean they're meant to be weak right so why are you so afraid of them why why do they bother you so much
0: well that's Uh, saying that ultimately in the film it doesn't receive any attention and that's that is um, at the core of some of the film's failings, I mm. suppose. Like, why, why um, Mandible wants to do what he's doing is... It just should be obvious to us. You know, it's obvious that he wants to kill the weak, but, mm. like, actually, who he is underneath all that, not mm. interesting, not developed. and well, so
1: Well, you know, why does he want to kill the weak? Because you think, you know, some other dictator might have said, OK, we'll, we'll take all the weak because they're weak. You know, and just put them to work or something. <laughs> I well, that's use what Cutter says. That's what know. his
0: second-in-command, that's what Curtis says. These uh. guys, they got the right stuff. Huh. Christopher Walken, that was.
1: Anyway, so I think for me what was most satisfying about it was the jokes, right? And the sophisticated humour. Yeah. Uh, and um, the fact that it had set pieces... You know, that in many ways were meant to delight, yeah? I mean, there's kind of a real attempt at being funny throughout, yeah? Yeah. And a kind of, you know, landing jokes. So, I loved all of that. And the fact that the jokes were of a, quite a sophisticated level, I also enjoyed.
0: Yeah. And and for me, the cinematography and the compositions and the editing... Oh, yeah, the compositions were fantastic. I think surprisingly beautiful. Right. Yeah. More than I remembered it being.
1: And imaginative. Like, you know, when you have the face of one and... Occupying all of the screen, yeah, with the Woody Allen Shanson character walking to I mean, you know, there are very interesting compositions throughout.
0: Yeah, so I'm glad we watched it. I'm glad
1: we watched it. So um, we highly recommend it. Um, so thank you very much for listening. We're
0: eavesdropping at the movies, and we are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, YouTube, Google Podcasts, mm-hmm. on social media. We're on Facebook and Twitter, mm-hmm. and the website is eavesdroppingatthemovies.com.